about 30 years ago, and I can remember it like it was yesterday, I took a team on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. We were there to help construct a church camp and held several church services as we were there. If you know anything about the Dominican people, they love baseball. Their life is built around baseball. And so at the end of each week, when you would take a team over there, the Dominicans would get their team together, and they would ask the Americans to put their team together, and we'd play each other. Now, one thing about the Dominicans is they never lost, and they didn't like to lose. We were in the middle of the game, and I was much fitter then, and I was up to bat, and I hit a line drive. And by the way, we are ahead in the game at this point, believe it or not. We were winning. I hit a line drive straight at the pitcher, and it hit him in his face. And all of a sudden, he hit the ground. Blood was flowing. We all gathered around, and we got a towel, and it was covered up in red. Before you knew it, it was just covered. And so we prayed over him, and they took him off in a beat-up truck to the hospital, and then all of my mission team members started coming up to me. One girl said with tears in her eyes, I don't think we can play anymore, Jeff. Another one said, no, I, I don't think. I think we need to call the game. And I'm thinking, but we're winning, right? <laughs> and I said, uh, I don't know. If, if we quit, they're going to say they didn't lose because we didn't finish the game. I said, you know, one of my weaknesses is I am highly competitive, all right, if you can't tell. I said, we got to finish the game. Come on, we can do it. And so we finished the game, and yes, we ended up winning. Later that night after dinner, we were getting ready for our devotional time, and the truck pulled up, and the Dominican guy came, and his jaw was all wired shut. And everybody started crying again. I said, but listen, we won the game. We still won. Now, whether you are competitive like me, and you would think, yeah, that's what you should have done. I mean, you know, he was at the hospital. They'd take care of him to finish the game. Or maybe you are gifted with mercy gifts that I, I have more now than I did then. But maybe you have mercy gifts, and you say, no, Jeff, that was a foolish decision to finish that game after that guy got seriously, seriously hurt. Now, I don't want to be a person who claims to be highly competitive with no mercy gifts, but there are decisions that we need to make in our life that sometimes means we need to be of a competitive nature. When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he gave what seemed to be countercultural words, what may seem to have been old-fashioned for some people, difficult for some people, or foolish for others. But all of Jesus' words were designed to deepen us and stretch us for the game of life, to give us purpose and meaning and to drive us forward. If you're participating on a team, your coach might ask you at a critical point in the season, he might look at the team or look at you and you say, you're going to have to ask yourself some tough questions. Are you prepared? Do you have what it takes? Are you willing to give what, it need, what you need to give to win? 
are you the type of person that wants it badly? In the game of life, regardless of how competitive you are, you're going to want to win this one because the consequences of not winning it are eternal. I want to wrap up our Game Changer series this morning by asking five questions, and I've got your outline there. You can follow along. I printed most of the scripture. We're going to share a lot of scripture through this as this ends this morning. Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus concludes the greatest message ever preached. And I hope we'll ask ourselves these questions because they are essential. Question number one, which road are you traveling on? Which road are you traveling on? Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only how many? A few find it. Our tendency is to often follow the crowd. We see everybody going this direction, and we go that direction as well. As well, let's just follow everyone else. It's easier. Where Jesus challenges us to go in the opposite direction. The American poet Robert Frost said, Two roads diverged into the woods, and I, I took the road less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Jesus says the way of life is found through the narrow gate, but wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And a whole lot of people go down that road. It might sound harsh on the surface. It might seem demanding. But we need to be reminded that following Jesus is not a piece of cake. It's not a cup of joe, so to speak. It can be tough. Yes, we can't earn our salvation, but we must enter that narrow gate, which can be costly by the world standard. It's a daily decision to dig down deep into our heart of hearts and trust Jesus no matter what. Second question, who are you listening to? Who has your ear? Who is it that gets your attention in life? Jesus gives a warning here. Verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, I never really understood what that was about. What's he talking about? Grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Back in their farming culture, and Lloyd, you can relate to this, Lloyd. Back in their farm, if you're still not <laughs> freezing up there. Back in their farming country, culture, there was a type of thorn bush that from a distance, it looked like it would have grapes on it. And so you'd be walking by and see and say, hey, cool, let's go get some grapes. But the closer you got, you realized they weren't grapes, but they were thorns. It was also true of thistles. In that particular time in the Middle East, the bushes might have resembled figs, but they were actually thorns the closer you got to it. So Jesus is saying, the closer you get, you're going to be able to see if a person is truly a faithful servant of God. So watch out for the false prophets. Look closely. Is God's word their source of truth? Is there consistency in their life and in their teaching? Do they seem more consume, concerned and consumed about making their name famous 
than the name of Jesus. So who gets your attention in life? Well, ask yourself, what podcast do you listen to? What pastors get, a, get your ear in life? What music messages do you listen to over and over again? What video games do you play? What do you watch on Netflix? Are the things that you put in and that you pay attention to things that increase your ability to share your faith? Or do they plant negativity in your life? Do they inspire you to purity or to impurity? Every single one of us answers that differently by what we listen to in life. Go a little bit wider, next three verses, beginning with verse 17. Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, we will recognize them. Question number three, what fruit are you bearing? What kind of crop are you producing in your life? What do other people see as a byproduct of your life? The answer depends on what kind of, what you're planning in your life as to what you are, what they see you producing. What you, uh, you reap what you what? So, and there's so much truth that no farmer comes into the house, scratches his head, and says to his spouse, hey, honey, craziest thing, we planted apple seeds, but one row of those trees is producing oranges. Right? Crazy. It's not going to happen. You plant an apple seed, you're going to get what? Apples. Apples. You reap what you sow, whatever you're planting into your life. And there's a subtle challenge here that Jesus slides in. I don't want you to miss. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't know about you, but that scares me. That scares me. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That was his purpose. That's why he came to this earth, and it should be our purpose as well. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Sometimes you hear us say we want to be disciples who make disciples. In other words, there should be a ripple effect from our lives as we reach out and touch other people with the love of Jesus Christ. And a huge question we need to ask ourselves all the time, who am I affecting? By the fruit of my life, who's being drawn to Jesus Christ? Who's getting closer to him by what I do? Question number four, whose plan are you pursuing? Next section, Jesus goes for the juggler. He's going to get everybody's attention on the mountainside. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. One thing that sickened Jesus the most was hypocrisy. 
when people appear to be something that they're really not. And so Jesus, in these closing moments of the Sermon on the Mount, is setting up for his conclusion. He's getting at him and saying, you know, we all think we're going to be saved. You think you're going to be saved by your heritage? You think you're going to be saved by the way you teach? Because of the way you give? Because of the way you lead? Because of the way you serve? But those actions, he would say, in and of themselves are not the golden ticket to heaven. But he says this. It's possible for us to become so involved in the Lord's work that we forget about the Lord of the work. It's possible that we become so involved in the Lord's work that we forget about the Lord of the work. We become so involved that we overlook the Savior. And I don't want to stand before God someday and say, God, do you look at all this I've done. Look at all these hours I put in for you, God, and hear him say, away from me. Away from me. Don't want that to happen. And the way that that happens is that we try to advance our agenda and not his. And that's huge. It's about him. Question number five, because I know you're getting cold. Question number five. What are you building on? What are you building on? Jesus closes out this most famous message by telling a story to the crowd. And he gets them to picture it in their mind because this is where they live. Verse 24. Therefore, in other words, in light of everything else I've shared with you on this mountainside, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the what? rock the rain came the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain came down the streams rose the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash the end mic drop game changer and he walks off the mountainside wow in jesus time when they built houses they would dig down through the layers of soil until they hit solid rock some though would opt for the shortcut and not dig down deep enough the sand in galilee would appear sometimes in the summer to be like rock but it really wasn't in the winter, the rains would come, the Jordan River would rise, and the sand would collapse. It would collapse. But the wise builder looked into the future, knew the storms were coming. The wise builder counted the costs, put in the time, energy to dig deep enough that they hit the bedrock beneath the sand. The foolish builder was only concerned with the outward appearance and making it get done fast in the way it looked, and he never counted the cost. We're in a culture that thrives on outward appearance. We're much more concerned, our whole world is, on what's above the ground than what's below the surface of our life, the heart. And if the foundation of our lives is not secure, it's only a matter of time before 
it collapses. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor in Miamisburg, Ohio, calculated I was about 33 years old at the time. I loved to play golf. I played much more than I've been out one time this year, but I love golf. I watch it like crazy. Brenda says, you know you ought to golf more if you watch it all the time. Yeah, I'd really like to. But I would go out golfing with an older gentleman. In fact, at this time, he was 80 years old, believe it or not. His name was Odin. Little guy, little guy. Him and I would go to the golf course. Now, remember, don't forget, the first time I went with him, I thought, man, I am going to just trounce him. Remember, I'm competitive. I'm looking at this 80-year-old guy, and I'm thinking, I take me. Oh, Odin, you want some strokes? He said, no, I don't need any strokes. And all right. And so the first time we went, we got to the first tee, and sure enough, he hit a ball 150 yards. It was about out to that little disc golf thing straight down the middle of the fairway. I get up. At that time, I could hit a ball 250, 260, and I drive it. And we get to go in there. And at the end of the golf match, you would think that I would have beat him because he only hit the ball 150, 160 yards every single time. But he beat me by 10 strokes. Easily beat me. Because even though I could hit the ball 250, 260 yards, you never know where it was going. Where he, even though he hit 150 yards, every single time, you could have just walked down the center of the golf course and find his ball. Because that's where he hit it. I learned an important truth about golf that day that every golfer eventually discovers. Direction is more important than distance. Direction is more important than distance. And just as that is true, beliefs are more important than behavior. Follow me. Your behavior in life is an outgrowth of your belief system. It's an outgrowth of what your foundation is. Track it across society. Everyone's behavior is an outgrowth of their foundational beliefs. And it will determine, your beliefs will determine if you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ and are trying to please him. If not, it will show. It's much easier to say no to something when there's a stronger burning yes within your heart. Whole lot easier. Someone has said the distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches. The distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches. That's the distance between your head and your heart. You see, your head will tell you one thing. But if your heart isn't founded in Jesus Christ, you'll do another. When our foundation is Jesus Christ, it's a game changer. It's a firm foundation, and it affects everything we do. So we have to ask ourselves, for me, will it be the broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow path that leads to eternal life? And by you guys being out here in 47-degree weather, you're choosing the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Amazing, amazing message the Sermon on the Mount. 
And you know our foundation sometimes, it can seem like we have it all together. But truly on the inside of us, no one else really knows what's going on inside of us except us and God. And I was awakened to that even this morning. Emily, come up here. And she doesn't know what's going on here. This morning, Emily, Emily, uh, well, lack of better word, runs an assisted living facility. She's in control of a, a lot of people, uh, over elderly people. She does it every day. Uh, she travels around, like she said, singing and doing everything she can to invest in elderly lives, into the elderly people's lives. 80, 90 years old plus. And she shared something that happened last week. And I just can't get it off my mind. Uh, and it shows that our foundation is important. Where our heart is is important. And no one else can see it. No one else knows what's going on. And when she said that uh, you never walk alone. We need to understand we never walk alone before it becomes too late and we find ourselves alone. Well, a week or so ago, she and a police officer walked into a 94-year-old 90, man into his room and he had committed suicide, shot himself with a gun in the facility. Who knew where his heart was that would make him do that? But it got me thinking, we do need each other. The distance between here and here, 18 inches, 18 inches. And as tough as this life can get, our foundation needs to be strong. And we continue to build that foundation so that when we're 94, maybe we won't make that choice. Don't know why he made that choice. And I believe God's got him. God's got him in his hands. But it's this tough, tough stuff. And she, uh, sorry. <laughs> she didn't go there with when she talked to you guys, but I knew that's what she was thinking because I, I know her heart. And so I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And this is a different kind of closing. But I'm going to pray for her, and uh, hopefully we all can take that to heart as we've been talking. Father, thank you so much for the message of the Sermon on the Mount and just a reminder uh, to check our hearts and build our foundation on your son, Jesus Christ, above everything else. And God, this world, it is, it is crazy right now. Everything's crazy, from the supplies in the grocery stores to overseas and its unsteadiness uh, to God what's happened in our workplaces what's going on in the church God and just inconsistencies in people's lives and faithfulness uh, God allow us to be steadfast and God I thank you for Emily and God every day the way she invests in people every single day people who are fragile really fragile and God I pray you'd uh, strengthen her 
God, allow her to uh, know it's okay, God, that you have that guy. And, God, you're caring for him. And, God, just give her the, uh, the strength to keep on keeping on because of the difference she makes. And, God, for everyone here who has workplaces and they invest in people, and whether it's uh, teams that they lead in their workplace, uh, Father, people who come and see them, God, may we continue to bear fruit for you, knowing, God, that in the end, it will all be worth it when we see you face to face. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.